So, as we've gone through the first three chapters, a major theme of this book is what? Two major themes that both start with the letter S. Submission and? Close. I like the word, but no, no. Suffering. Submission and suffering. It's really two of the major themes that Peter has been getting uh, to us through this, this book. Uh, in the past, we've, in, the, in the recent weeks, we've been looking at suffering more than submission. But before that, we had a few weeks of learning about submission. And I believe they both go hand in hand. But here this morning, we're going to continue on with this suffering. And we're going to be talking about how we as Christians, if we truly proclaim to be followers of Jesus, right? If we were the ones that came up here and grabbed a communion element, right? Then we are proclaiming that we are followers of Jesus. Otherwise, there's no need for the snack, right? Like, you're not supposed to, okay? So, we, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, are to be done with sin, right? We're to be done with sin, and that's going to be our focus uh, this morning. So, let's read verses 1 through 6, and we'll go back and we'll talk about it. It says in verse 1, therefore, so Peter here is bringing back what we studied last week in verses 18 through 22, and he's bringing it here into the first six verses of chapter 4. And last week we talked about the suffering that Christ had, and the suffering wasn't just for the sake of suffering and to receive pain, but it was a suffering that led to our salvation because it was his suffering that led to his death. It was his suffering of the just dying for the unjust, right? That in verse 18, he says, for the reason for that is so that we might be brought to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So in verse 1, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that, no, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. And they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. So, in verse 1, Peter says, Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, because he did that, now there is something that you and I are to do and respond to that. Right? So we have to see what our response is when it comes to Christ's suffering in the flesh. And Peter says it at the end of verse 1, arm yourselves with the same mind. The same mind that Jesus had when he, it was the joy that was set before him that he took up this cross, right? It was the same mind that Jesus Christ, where he humbled himself. It was the same mind when he was suffering through the physical pain that was coming from him from uh, people that he was dying for, right? His enemies, sinners, ones who were uh, flogging him and, and spitting on him and, and pulling on his beard. The same mind that Christ had, we are to have. That we're to arm ourselves, the Bible tells us. And having this same mind really entails us being committed to Christ. That there is a commitment that we have to Jesus 
Christ while we endure struggles. And Jesus said this perfectly uh, when he said to his disciples in Matthew 16, 24, and you guys know this, he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, right? So there is a huge commitment in following Jesus. It's not a wishy-washy thing. It's either you take up your cross and you die to yourself and you follow him or you don't. It's not a, well, I may be a Christian or I'm sort of, no, it's either you follow Jesus or you don't. And when we follow Jesus, we follow him into his death, right? We follow him into his death. Now, that's really speaking of, a, of spiritual terms, right? But we can also see in the physical, as we're talking about suffering, and, and Peter's warning us that you are going to suffer. Right now, we're, the most that we suffer is what? Like verbal things, right? And looks, ver verbal assaults and looks and, and things that people say. Uh, but we know that there is physical suffering. You know, if you've ever read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, or if you read the stuff that's happening overseas, or if you've actually seen it visibly, that there is suffering. Or maybe you have gone through it. Maybe, you know, somebody's done something to you because that you follow Jesus and because you shine the light in the darkness. And we'll see that this morning. So again, our response to Christ's suffering in the flesh for us is to arm ourselves with the same mind. That means we take up his cross and we are absolutely committed that we do not look back, that we die to ourselves. Now, when Peter uses the word arm here, right, that we should arm ourselves, what, is it, what does that remind you of? Like, what kind of terminology is that when, that, when you hear that? Equip, it's kind of like, it's almost like a military term, right? And that's exactly, that's exactly what Peter's trying to get across. It's a military term used of soldiers. It literally means to arm oneself with weapons, right? To arm oneself with weapons. They're put on as an armor, you know, to equip, as we see in Ephesians 6. So when Peter speaks about the mindset that Christ had, He's speaking of being ready for the battle. And any good soldier that goes into battle is ready to do what? To fight, but also ultimately to die. And I think that's the same thing for us as believers. Now, it's not that we go out with the intent of wanting to die physically, right? We go out with the intent of wanting to die spiritually, right? But we also know that because we are followers of Christ, that we are not greater than our master, and our master is the one who was put to death by who? Well, he laid down his life, but in the physical sense, who killed him? Yeah, you and I, that there was real people, that they decided we want Jesus to die and not Barabbas, right? That we want him to be crucified. We can't figure out a way to do it, right? So we're going to start making things up because he was, uh, wasn't found guilty of anything. You know, so by the hands of people, Jesus died, that he was persecuted. So in the same way, we have to be prepared to suffer and to be persecuted. We have to be committed like a good soldier and be prepared to die. And Paul even called out Timothy with this to arm himself with the same attitude in 2 Timothy. In chapter 2, verse 3, he says, You therefore must endure hardship, hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ right, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. At the end of verse 1 in chapter 4, Peter says, For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased, and has ceased really means to be done with. 
So he who has suffered in the flesh is done with sin. Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. I'm going to read this. And this, look, the Bible always, it always interprets itself, right? So it, it helps clarify uh, verses that we don't understand. And I believe that this is really pertinent and perfect, this chapter in Romans 6, in describing what we're studying here this morning. So in verses 5 through 14, Paul says this, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Right? And that's why Christ and the Word tells us that we are to die. And as we die to our flesh, we're then made alive in the Spirit, which means that we are free from sin. And then you're thinking, well, how are we free from sin if I just sinned this morning? What does that mean? Well, we're not free from sinning, but we're free from the power and the bondage that sin has. And you know that feeling because that's what we were once in before we were freed. Now it has no power over us because we have been made alive in the Spirit. And it is the Spirit of God that has resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead, ultimately defeating death and sin, correct? So we, have, we are no longer slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, and we studied that last week. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Listen, you will still sin, but you are no longer a slave to sin. You are free to live for the will of God, because the sin nature has died and has been buried with Christ. We are a new creation when we're born again, right? The old things have passed and now the, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that. So as followers of Jesus, listen, as followers of Jesus, we're committed. We're committed to him wholeheartedly. We're committed to him in the sense that we're going to die to ourselves and that we should be ready to die of physical death, not wanting to die of physical death, but ready if it comes up, right? Because there is suffering and there is persecution. And we're going to look at this in the next few verses. It will come if you follow Jesus. It's not a matter of, of if, it's a matter of when. And as we follow him, we should also, we also have been freed from the, the dominion of sin, which allows us to be alive in the spirit. So we no longer, we are to be done with sin. Right? We're not to be enticed by it. We're not to follow after it. We're not to lust after it. We're free from it. In verse 2, Peter, Peter says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. 
because of Jesus' suffering, he has brought us life. And if we've decided to die with him and live for him, we must now no longer live in the lust of our flesh, but now for the will of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's not about following in sin. It's about following the will of God. Galatians 2.20 puts it perfectly by saying, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Look, before we came to Jesus, the world is enticing. And even after we come to Jesus, the world is still somewhat enticing. But before that, we had this this huge draw to it, and we couldn't pull ourselves away from it. Only Jesus can do that. Now, as Christians, it can be enticing, but it has no dominion over us. The world is enticing. Sin is enticing. I mean, why why do we partake in sin to begin with? I mean, honestly, besides that it's in our nature, we do it because it's pleasurable, right? Every sin that we commit is because we want to do it. We want to partake in it. There is a pleasure in it, but it's a momentary pleasure that doesn't fully satisfy what is truly needed for us, and ultimately it leads to what? Death, right? You can never argue with me that there is one sin out there that is good for you. It's not. It might feel good, but ultimately it is not good for you. And it will destroy you. Whether that's you now or it's going to hinder you and and hurt relationships around you, that is exactly what sin does. And Jesus came to free us from that. He has given us new life if we repent of our sin and we trust and we follow him. In verse 3, Peter says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. And you're probably thinking, dude, I'm only 15, 16, 17 years old, 12, 13 years old. Like, how have I spent enough time uh, in my lifetime doing these things? I want to spend a look, I haven't even gone to college yet, right? That's when I hear all the good stuff happens. Look, I become independent. My parents aren't going to know, right? Well, my church family's not going to be around. I don't even have to tell people I'm Christians, and then I can just really do whatever I want. And that happens more often than not, right? Because we become enticed by the world, we become enticed by sinners, that we don't want to be the one weirdo that's, you know, the, the good person, right? The one that, you know, doesn't go out late at night and do dumb stuff. The one that does keep him or herself pure. The one that doesn't partake in the activities and the things that the other kids are doing. It's hard. It really is. But Peter tells you and I right here that regardless of what, if it's relative, regardless of when you've been saved, whether it was at 12, 18, or 84, he says, regardless, you have spent enough of your past life in doing the will of the Gentiles. You've partaken enough in what they are doing. He says, when we walked in lewdness and lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And again, I know some of you may be thinking, well, man, I haven't really, again, I'm young. I haven't, re- I'm, and you know, my parents are strict or this or that. Or maybe you've decided to abstain from things and you haven't partaken in things. Like I've told you guys, like I've, alcohol has never touched my lips, right? Like, so it's, it, I, it, 
It's not something that I have partaken in in my past lifetime, right? So with these things that you think, well, I haven't, I haven't done, right? That's a good thing, right? That is a good thing. You may be thinking, well, man, I don't have a great testimony because I haven't, you know, who cares? That's good. You're a sinner regardless, right? Because all these things, lewdness, lust, drunkenness, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, you're thinking, well, I've never been to a drinking party. Well, that's okay. These are all actions that stem from the heart, right? And just because you haven't partaken in the actions doesn't mean that you are any better or any worse than anyone else that has because it's all about the heart. Look, you've spent enough time, even if it wasn't any time. (laughs) You spent enough time, even if it was only for a moment, in doing the will of the Gentiles because you and I were not created to partake in these things. We're not to walk in the lewdness and the lusts and the drunkenness and the revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. Don't think that you haven't spent enough time. Don't, if you have a desire to experience the things of the world, listen, you haven't missed out and you're, you're not going to miss out. Okay? I know sometimes you, you feel like you can be an outcast because you haven't partaken in certain things that other people have. I don't think I have missed out because I've never tasted alcohol, right? Because I have never tasted alcohol, it has never had power over me, right? It can't because, I mean, we've never mixed, right? I mean, it's, it's as easy as that. The same thing with drugs. It can never have power over you if you've abstain from it or everything else right now those are physical things but again a lot of the things stem from the heart when we have the lust of the eyes you know and things that we really can't abstain from but christ forgives so you have spent enough of your past lifetime in doing the will of the gentiles and then you know peter describes a few things and i don't think it's again an exhaustive list but it's It's a good list of the things that uh, we have partaken in in our past lifetime. And again, you guys are young, so you probably haven't, you know, partaken in a lot of these things. But but then again, some of you have, and some of you have seen them. Some of you go to public school. Some of you have friends that have done it, right? You see it on social media. So I know that you're not, you know, completely ignorant to all this stuff. So he speaks of the first thing is lewdness. And this speaks of all types of evil without moral restraint. That's an interesting one. Lewdness. All types of evil without moral restraint. And now that really speaks of the world around us, right? That we have lost a restraint upon our morals, right? That we are starting to justify more and more and more. That things are starting to normalize more and more and more. It's funny because one of our interns and I were talking about this this week of how we have become uh, desensitized to things and we're starting to allow things more and more in our lives. And, and one of the things we were talking about was with movies, right? With movies. Now, all of us are, I guess, are different in what we're allowed to watch and all of us are different in what we allow ourselves to watch and be exposed to, right? So we were talking about it and for a lot of, a vast majority of Christians, there's like some certain no-nos in movies that you just don't, you just don't watch, right? 
So the biggest one is anything that is sexual or nudity. I think across the board, everyone's like, yeah, well, that's probably something that we're not going to watch, right? Okay, now I'm just, I'm guessing, okay, just a guess. The second thing is, okay, well, language, right? Well, it's not as bad as the, the sexual and the nudity and everything in movies. You know, I don't want a ton of language, but I'm okay with it, right? You hear me out? You understand, you understand where I'm going? Then you've got the violence in movies, and everyone's like, ah, it's fine, right? <laughs> so we've got, okay, that's definitely a no-no. Language is like, ah, only 20 F-words? Okay, that's not too bad, right? Like, like it's not going it's not, it's not to influence me, right? Now, I understand there's grace and there's legalism. I'm not trying to get into that, okay? I'm, I'm just really trying to talk about the morality part. Then we get into violence, and really, we don't ever look at the violence section because it's like, whatever. You know, it's like we're all okay with it. And the other day, Whitney was on her phone, and we were in bed, and we were, I was trying to figure out something to watch. So um, one of our rules is that we never watch radar movies. But there was a radar movie, I'm confessing to you, there was a radar movie on TV, but it was TV 14, right? So it was cut out. So a lot of the stuff were cut out. So I, I turned on um, Expendables. I had never seen it before. And so the first five minutes, there was like one gory scene. I was like, dude, that's like pretty bad, right? And so I turned it off. I'm like, what am I doing watching this? It was not even enticing to me anymore, but our moral restraint has, has it's gone, right? We're starting to normalize things more and more. And especially for you guys as kids, when you abstain from things, it makes you seem like you're the weirdo or you're the goody two-shoe, right? That, oh, wow, you can't watch this movie? Wow, you know? It's, it's, and, and we do that to each other, which is horrible, right? But there is a morality in us that comes with having the spirit of God that we are set to a higher standard, right? And I'm not trying to tell you which movies to watch or not, but that's going to be within you and your own spirit. You know, whether it's movies or music or words or, or you know, things that you're going to partake in, you know, the Holy Spirit is going to convict you and the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to you that Jeffrey, although that you are free to do this, it is not beneficial to you, right? The same thing that Paul told us. He said, all things are lawful, for, are lawful to you because you are now under grace, but not all things are beneficial. Yeah, maybe you're free to do that, but is it really helpful? Is it, is it really going to uh, build your spirit or is it something that is going to tear you down? You know, and so I would challenge us with that, with this lewdness part. You know, where is our moral restraint? Do we have a moral restraint? Because essentially, if we're partaking in lewdness, it means that we don't have a moral restraint. We're becoming more and more like the world. The second thing that P Peter says is lust. And lust is the intense desires uh, that basically control a person. Drunkenness, well, that's to be intoxicated. Revelries, feasts given to sexual immorality. Drinking parties, literally means drinking parties. <laughs> and abominable idolatry, that was interesting. Abominable idolatry, try to say that five times fast, that's not easy. So I, I, that's an interesting one that Peter brings up. And so what I found out that it can be translated as lawless idolatry. And I was thinking, well, isn't idolatry just bad across the board? Well, yes, of course, it, it is. But a lawless idolatry, an abominable idolatry, uh, really refers to how people break the civil law as they are following after their idolatry. 
right? And so a lot of times idolatry can us be, you know, placing something above Christ, but it doesn't really break the law. It, it breaks God's law, but it doesn't break our law, right? Like if, if I'm, I don't know, just really into this certain thing, well, it's, it's not going to, I'm not breaking any law. But if I start to dabble in something that goes against the law, I start to break the law. Now, as Christians, listen, as followers of Jesus, with these things that the Gentiles were, were doing and partaking in, the things that we in our past should have, that we were partaking in but we're no longer partaking in, we have to remember that we've been delivered from these pursuits because the world is going to pursue these things as much as they can. And they're going to they're gonna try to uh, fill this need and this void as Ecclesiastes tells us that, that we have eternity in our hearts, right? That there's something that draws us that we need filled. Ultimately, it's Jesus that can only do that. But they will try to pursue and find that, that fullness in these things. Lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatry. But remember, sin is not our master anymore. We've been freed from sin. And we're also free from the world, right? As followers of Jesus, we're no longer uh, of this world. We're in it, but we're not of it. We're now of a different kingdom, right? My hope is not in this world. My hope is not in my next promotion or my career. My hope is not in my spouse or my kids. My hope is not in the president, right? My hope is in Jesus Christ and him alone who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the creator of all things. In Romans 12, 2, Paul reminds us basically of the same thing that Peter's getting across here. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. And then 1 John challenges us in chapter 2, in verses 15 through 17, when John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lusts of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And so the challenge and the question for you and I is, do I love the world and the sin in it? Or am I done with sin? Am I done pursuing the lust of my flesh and I have now been crucified with Christ. In verse 4, Peter says, In regards to these things, they, speaking of uh, the Gentiles who are partaking in these things, the people that you once uh, partook in these things with, or even now as you don't partake in them, and people are partaking in them, these people, Peter says, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. Again, this is where you're going to be called the weirdo, the outcast, the goody-two-shoe, right? Where you're the one that abstains from partaking in these things, that you're not going to run with them in doing these things. Because now you have been pulled out of the world. You are now a follower of Jesus Christ. And what happens is that you are then going to be persecuted for being light in the darkness. You are. I don't know. I'm sure you guys have experienced this. Where I remember that in high school, Look, I, I, I love Jesus. I wasn't the perfect follower of Jesus, but I loved him, and I abstained from things because I did love him. 
right? And I was the kid, and I, on, I was on, if you guys play sports, you know things are kind of a little bit more, I don't know, multiplied or something. Um, so when I was on, I told you guys a story when I was, when I was uh, on the baseball team, how we went to Wilmington one year and all the kids got a guy to buy alcohol and they all partook in it and drank and, and I abstained from that. I was the one kid, you know, sitting in the room watching cartoons. And, uh, and I, you know, I got rewarded. I got to go to varsity after that. But, um, but even more than just that one specific instance, you know, there was so many things that, that my teammates partook in that I didn't partake in. Right? So many things that like when they talked about things, I couldn't even really even follow with them because I've never, I had never experienced it. And I know that at some point, some of us can, can desire to fit in with the crowd. But listen, sometimes following Jesus can be a lonely road, but you're gonna be walking on the right path and the road that leads to salvation, the, lo- the road that leads to an eternity with him, right? That there is a reward that is lasting. The reward here on earth is passing, it's fleeting, right? And it only fulfills so much. Proverbs, listen, Proverbs chapter one, verse 10 says, my son, if sinners entice you, what should you do? Do not consent. And I know we've all struggled. I've struggled with this. Where I've seen what people do and, and it's enticing, right? But we are to not consent and to follow after them because it's a life that leads to destruction. And ultimately what Peter says here, the, these pursuits and these things that the world partakes in, he calls them the flood of dissipation. Tell me what that means. I had no idea either. <laughs> the flood of dissipation. That has never left my lips outside of reading it from the word. Right? The flood of dissipation. It's an interesting phrase, but it's translated from two Greek words. One meaning overflow and the other meaning wastefulness. <laughs> interesting, right? An overflow of wastefulness and pursuing the things of this world. Right? When you hear of the things that the kids did over the weekend, and, you know, they're, they're, they're bragging about it. And, you know, you know, I did this and I did that and blah, 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 blah. And, and that's, that's all they have to brag it about. That's all that they have, you know, to live for. And what Peter says is that's, it's all wastefulness. It doesn't gain you anything. It's wastefulness. In physics, dissipation is defined as a process in which energy is used or lost without accomplishing useful work. In other words, dissipated energy is wasted energy, energy that is not captured for any useful purpose during an energy exchange. So Peter here, he's painting a picture of our culture's fascination with sin, its entertainment, debauchery, and idolatry, an overflow of dissipation, a flood of waste. So partaking in these things, they're just essentially wasteful. But because you do not partake in them, people will speak evil of you. And why do they do that? Because you don't run with them, they will speak evil with you. Speak evil of you. Why is that? And I'm sure you've experienced this. If you've stood your ground, and you've stood in your faith with Jesus, and you haven't partaken in the things of this world as your friends have, or as other people have, they will speak evil of you. And be- they do this because of one reason. Because you shine the light in the darkness. Your morality convicts, and your good works, they expose the bad. Look, when we don't participate in the sin around us, we convict those who practice their sin. 
And they don't like that. They don't like that. Right? Again, the light exposes the dark. In John chapter 3, verse 16, we all know that verse, right? Well, let me read a couple of verses after that. In verse 16, I'll start there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world sh- through him might be saved. Right? So the idea was that, that God loved us so much that he decided to sacrifice his own son, and Jesus uh, obeyed in that sacrifice, not to condemn us, right, but to save us. He didn't, he didn't come here to condemn us. He came here to save us. But for those of us that reject Jesus, it is a condemnation. In verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and the men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Listen, everyone has a conviction. And so when we are not partaking in something that other people are partaking in, it convicts them. The Holy Spirit is continually knocking on their hearts and trying to reveal to them that this is wrong, that you were not created for that. And maybe you and I have been in that position when you have been doing something you shouldn't have been doing and then you see somebody, you invite them to it or you want them to uh, partake in it and they say no, right? And that shows you, and it convicts you. And ultimately, because you're convicted and, and you're, you're kind of embarrassed, you, you kind of want to demean them and make them feel bad for not doing it because light is exposing the darkness. In verse 5, Peter uh, gives us, I don't know, hope. And he says in verse 5, for those that are going to speak evil of you because you're not partaking in the, in the sin with them, he says, look, you don't need to do, do anything but continue to follow Jesus, okay? You don't need to do anything because, look, in the end, it's going to be in the Lord's hands. He says, they will give an account, speaking of the Gentiles, to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Look, all who live in sin, they are going to be judged by God. And they're going to see how foolish they have been. In Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21, I'm almost done. Paul says this. Repay no one evil for evil. Sounds familiar, right? When did we just study that? Well, chapter 3, verse 9, right? In 1 Peter, not returning evil for evil. Right? So when you're the one that abstains from things and your, your friends or people around you don't and they're going to speak evil of you, what should you do? Return evil for evil? No. Rather this, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And here it is in verse 19 of Romans 12. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, what do you do? You feed him. And if he is thirsty, what should you do? 
Give him a drink, for in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what we are called to do as followers of Jesus. What sense would it make if we did not participate in the things of the world, and then we get made fun of for it, but then we try to come back and make fun of them for making fun of us, right? We try to revile evil for evil. We have just canceled out the things that we did not partake in, right? But rather, we overcome evil with good. That we don't return evil for evil. And then verse 6, and we'll close here. Peter says, For this reason the gospel is preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. So in the previous verse, in verse 5, Peter assured us as followers of Jesus that a judgment of all people was to come. And those who rejected Christ and those that persecuted and abused Christians would give an account and be judged by him and him alone. And now people will make excuses, right? They'll make ex- the excuse that, well, why waste your whole life doing God's will if you're just going to die anyways, right? You only live once. So do whatever you want. Live the way that you want to live. But Peter insists that it's not the case. There is another life to come, correct? There is another life to come, and there will be a judgment. So when Scripture tells us and says that the gospel is preached to those who are dead, it means to those who have died after trusting in Jesus Christ, their choice to live for God, to suffer in their bodies for Christ's sake while alive, led to their opportunity to live in the Spirit in the next life, even as God now does himself. Christians should be encouraged and continue to encourage one another that our suffering for Christ and the commitment to him is not in vain. Right? That you, if you are born again, you are persecuted and you die, we get to be made alive in the Spirit. I love that. Let's pray.